This is Lance Howard, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Healing Voice podcast. I'm happy to share an element of this podcast that I mentioned on the very first episode. It's a project I've been working on for several years, a work I call Bible Redefined. It's not what you think it is or what you've been told. In this episode, I will unpack how the English translations and Western interpretations of the Bible have misled our understanding of who and what God is, how that affects our understanding of who we are as human beings, and what we should be focused on in order to live a meaningful and fulfilling life. The transcript to this podcast is available on my blog at thbtv.com. Bible Redefined. It's not what you think it is or what you've been told. The Bible is a collection of ancient books and letters that were originally written in the Semitic languages of Hebrew and Aramaic. These languages are powerfully poetic, full of imagery and metaphor with layers that reveal deep wisdom on the unified principles of life. A smaller portion of the Bible is said to have been originally written in Greek, a language that is less flexible and artistic than Hebrew and Aramaic, and has also influenced much of the English language, which comprises the Western perspective and mindset in a very limited and rigid way, which you will soon be able to see. Western scholars typically have not rendered the rich and meaningful translations that are necessary to truly reflect the beauty and quality of the ancient Eastern languages. And because we do not understand the ancient Semitic culture and ideology, we misunderstand and misuse their writings. Western ideology and language have watered down these ancient truths and painted a colonial religious picture that has confused, angered, and stifled or given many a means to be hateful and judgmental toward others. The Bible comes from the ancient Near East, which is the region of the world that is sometimes referred to as the Middle East. This is also where Earth's earliest civilizations originated. Today, this region includes Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, and other territories. Reference to this ancient region is sometimes called Mesopotamia, where the Sumerian, Akkadian, Babylonian, and Egyptian kingdoms reigned. By studying the languages and cultures of the ancient Near East, I have been able to capture some of how the ancient Eastern world felt about the nature of existence and the relationship of the soul to all things. For example, the ancient Aramaic and Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. It is similar in meaning to our English word self. The meaning of nefesh portrays the nature of consciousness being concentrated in an individual physical form that has the full power to be self-conscious and creative. The ancient Near East is arguably the birthplace of the world's most influential spiritual thought. We can see its influence on the development of ancient writings such as the Quran, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, and others as well as expressions of meditation, prayer, mantra, and a variety of spiritual practices that still exist today. 
It is from the ancient Near East that we find the origin of a collection of ancient documents that have been compiled into the book that we now call the Bible. These documents were written by an ancient lineage of people originally called Hebrews. They were later called Israel or Israelites. Their history dates back approximately five to 6,000 years ago, long before the nation of Israel that we currently think of was founded just 72 years ago in 1948. The Bible is likely the most influential book on the Western world. Some have said it is the most influential book in the entire world. The English word Bible is a transliteration of the Greek and Latin word Biblia, which means book. The Bible is a historical book that is made up of individual historical books and letters containing story, documentation, and teachings. Each is authored for a very specific reason in specific times and places. The Bible has been split into two or three sections. The first and oldest section is known as the Old Testament. The middle and least known section is called the Apocrypha. The third and youngest section is called the New Testament, which records the life of Jesus and how he impacted the communities of the region thereafter. Now, the Apocrypha is a section of the Bible consisting of 14 books that are typically omitted from modern editions of the Bible, but can still be found in some editions, such as the Oxford NRSV, the 1611 King James Version, and the Greek Septuagint. Religious authorities of the 2nd and 3rd centuries chose to include certain books as part of the biblical collection and disregard others for a variety of reasons. A common answer is that disregarded books were not considered authentic, authoritative, or inspired. It is hard to know the reasons and intentions behind these purposeful omissions. We can only infer, based on what other historical documents of the same time period report about the cultural and political events that were happening. Ironically, the Greek word apocrypha means secret, hidden, obscure, and hard to understand. What is certain is that we have a right to know what the entire collection of the Hebrew books consists of. This right ensures we are fully capable of determining what is worthwhile for our spiritual journeys without the dogma of clergy or politics telling us what we should know and think or what is right and wrong. To continue unpacking the mystery of truly understanding the Bible, I'm going to read the prologue of a book that is in the Apocrypha. It's called Ecclesiasticus, which is a similar name to the more well-known book of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiasticus was written around 200 BCE, making it approximately 2200 years old. In the prologue to the book, Ecclesiasticus, the author mentions the difficulty of translating from the original language of Hebrew. He writes, and I'm quoting from an Old English translation of the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. He writes, Israel ought to be commended for learning and wisdom, and whereof not only the readers must needs become skillful themselves, but also they that desire to learn be able to profit them which are without of another nation, 
both by speaking and writing. Wherefore, let me entreat you to read it with favor and attention and to pardon us, wherein we may seem to come short of some words which have we have labored to interpret. For the same things uttered in Hebrew and translated into another tongue have not the same force in them. And not only these things, but the law itself and the writings of the prophets and the rest of the books have no small difference when they are spoken in their own language. Therefore, I thought it most necessary for me to bestow some diligence and travail to interpret it, using great watchfulness and skill in that space to bring the book to an end and to set it forth for them also, which in a strange country are willing to learn, being prepared before in manners to live after the law. This author knew that the world would struggle to understand the wisdom contained in the Hebrew books by the simple nature of differing languages, let alone the fact that languages change over time. The author makes it clear that the text requires a higher level of comprehension. He also indicates that the book is, in, is intended for those who, quote, desire to learn, end quote. And he asks for forgiveness if the translation, quote, seems to come short of some words which they labor to interpret. For the same things uttered in Hebrew and translated into another tongue do not have the same force or strength or power or life in them. And not only these things, but all of the books adhered to by the Hebrews have no small difference when they are spoken in their original language. This prologue to Ecclesiasticus was written more than 2,000 years ago. The author had no way of knowing this text would be translated to what we now call English, which obviously did not exist in his day, and has also evolved in many ways since its inception. The ideologies, philosophies, perspectives, and way of speaking about life in our 21st century Western world are very different and often contrary to those of the ancient Near East. The Bible should not be read from our conclusions because those conclusions are formed by our modern way of life. The Bible, like any ancient book, is to be understood from the position and conclusions of the original culture, the original author, and the original audience. When we read these texts, it is our responsibility to free our minds from our cultural biases and see the writings in their own light. Throughout my life, I had the feeling that there was more to God and spirituality than religion was able or willing to discuss. I decided to search beyond Western religion and philosophy and have spent thousands of hours studying ancient languages and cultures over the last 20 years with specific attention to Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And I have come to realize that we live in a culture of fear and separation today. Our negative emotions, prejudices, and biases have seeped into our collective consciousness and blinded us from a principle of life the ancients considered or knew as sacred unity. The principle of sacred unity has been translated today as the words God and life, and similarly translated as kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. The ancient languages reveal a one and the same, 
unity in diversity about this being God and humanity and nature. The culture and the authors who composed the books of the Bible did not separate themselves from it from their divine parent or the timeless being which we have translated as the word God. Inherent connection is how they understood the unified nature and experience of life. This connection was part of their mindset and it's it's built into their language. A certain all-pervading sacredness was built into into the very words they spoke. Sacred unity is a principle of life that brings congruence to the struggle of who we actually are and who we appear to be, as well as how things are by way of our mental constructs and how things are in reality. I believe we all wrestle with this feeling of incongruence on some level. It's an underlying awareness that is present in the notion and often frustration that something is missing in our day-to-day lives or that somehow we might be putting on a show or that things are not as they should be. It is a lingering dissatisfaction that we can't quite figure out and we have become very efficient at ignoring, but it keeps us awake at night. It agitates us when we are alone or perhaps haunts us in our dreams. The reality of sacred unity reveals that we are not true to ourselves. Therefore, it follows that we struggle to be true to one another, even when our intentions are the best. One of these life principles which speaks to this problem has been translated to say, love your neighbor as yourself. This was uh, a part of a message that Jesus gave. So it's in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew. And we generally understand this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, to mean that we should treat others well. But this principle points to something much greater than that. Love your neighbor as yourself begs us to wonder how deeply do we love our individual selves? How deeply do you love yourself? The true answer to that question also answers how deeply you can love anyone else. The answer to this question is independent of your opinion. There can be a difference between what is true or real and what you perceive. Since we humans are not very good at being true to ourselves, it only follows that real answers to the most vulnerable questions are not answers we are most willing or even able to take a clear, objective look at. The key idea here is self-deception and is why we find it difficult to truly love our neighbor. For example, if self-love is a form of egotistical pride, You have only painted an illusion of love for yourself. It is not the real thing, and others can see ego where you think you see love. True love is humble and willing to sacrifice for others without seeking anything in return. The implication of these ideas are huge. The way you treat or think of yourself is an indicator of how healthy you are for others and how much good you can bring into their lives, as well as how much good you are ready to receive. All of this and more is behind the English translation, love your neighbor as yourself. This principle is saying, true love is the standard in this life and you must have true love for yourself first. Our version of love is 
fragile, it's fearful and full of betrayal because if we can't be real with ourselves, we can't be real with others. And this in some way means they can only love the false version of ourself that we have presented for them to see. Deep down, somehow, we know we are putting on a show and that intuitive knowledge is proof of sacred unity an intelligence that is wired into our being and is aware of what we, or should I say our ego, would rather ignore. But we cannot get away from it. And constantly sensing our daily fraudulence leads to a complicated web of emotional turmoil that is actually working together to lead us back to the truth. And truth is about honesty, but many of us can go most, if not all, of our lives wearing a mask, resisting the truth, and therefore having little to do with the positive change the world needs, which is a direct link to meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. The writings of the ancient Hebrews offer wisdom that address the issues of love with self-inherent ways to overcome these struggles. The writings make it evident that you are born with the capacity to overcome, The ancient writings show that when you gain an understanding of the principles of sacred unity, which can also be called unity in diversity, you can, with all sincerity, love others by offering support that comes from a place of true humility and empathy. But that can only begin through honesty with yourself about yourself. The ancient teachings share an awareness of the human struggle that we all face. They reveal that embracing our shortcomings is part of the path to healing our personal trauma and drama, which opens the pathway to true self-love. The wisdom of the ancient Near East reveals we are more than what our Western world has caused us to believe. It is human nature to seek satisfaction and fulfillment, and our culture constantly pushes us to get more and do more, always reaching, going, and doing, but rarely, if ever, being present in the moment, in the now. The true message of the Bible reveals there is a relevant way to experience the true identity of yourself, humanity, nature, and divinity. Within this true identity, there is peace, connection, and satisfaction. First with the being we have called God. Peace with yourself and peace with others. In that state of mind and state of flow, the culture-constructed walls that are between you, others, nature, and divinity will begin to fade and you come to realize it's all a human ego-generated illusion. Today we use words like spirituality and God, yet we fail to realize how short-sighted and inadequate our constructed ideas of these are. Our definitions and experiences of these ideas are frail and inconsistent. We can better understand this being we call God, and we can better understand spirituality, life, love, death, and eternity when we respect the unique ways these ancient texts define them, which is very different from the religious point of view we have been given. It is also important to know that over the last 30 to 50 years, quantum scientists have found and affirmed what gurus, wise men, sages, and prophets of the ancient times said millennia ago, that everything is connected, that we do live in a unified reality. 
Additionally, these new sciences and ancient Semitic principles support one another in affirming that humans hold an inner power that is based in pure intelligence, consciousness, or awareness, which we can use creatively in ever-increasing levels for our mental, physical, and spiritual health. As we learn who we truly are, we also learn what we are capable of and how we can recreate our world for the better as a place of well-being rather than competition. The ancient scriptures support this by portraying the unity of consciousness as the ground and field of existence. Through observable and repeatable experiments, quantum scientists have discovered this information and are calling it the unified field of pure energy of which consciousness is the foundation, the intelligent source, which we have called God. In short, this means your intelligence is a direct link to and share in that of the one intelligent source, which pervades all of life. The message of the Bible is founded upon unity in diversity based on the essence of intelligence, connection, peace, energy, and identity through the divine mystery of life. And that divine mystery is what it means to be or to exist. A helpful analogy is how water can exist in different forms, solid ice, steam, and liquid, but retain its same structure of H2O. What may appear to be different is in fact the same thing. The arrangement and motion of the molecules differ and hold varying characteristics of volume, shape, compressibility, vibration, and energy, yet are still unified. We see all this variety in the natural world. It creates an illusion of separation, but it is one, the one consciousness at work, creative and ever-present. Religion has become a crutch for the ego and in most cases provides more division, separation, and misunderstanding of the true nature of an intelligent presence and being we've called God. The experience we call spirituality should be the pinnacle of knowing love and connection. We often use the term spiritual but have no idea how shallow our understanding of the experience is. The messages contained in the Bible are revealed in multi-layered ways, in the letters of words, in the roots of words, and even the sound of words. Individual letters can hold value and meaning. So meaning and connection are found in the syntax, how sentences relate to one another, how paragraphs fit into the context of a chapter, and how a chapter fits into the flow of its own book, and how that book contextually fits and connects to all the other books. The meaning of biblical writings exists simultaneously at all of these levels and exists in very effective, relevant, and true ways. Meaning is derived by starting with an individual word, diving into the sound, letters, and root of that word, and then building understanding from there. Most people attempt to understand the Bible by beginning with an entire sentence or paragraph, but don't realize how much depth is lost if we don't have the proper understanding of the words themselves. 
This wouldn't be a problem if our translators did the work for you, but they don't. That is why Bible Redefined exists. But I must be clear, there's so much depth and meaning in these ancient texts that there's no way to perfectly translate them. One Hebrew word can sometimes make three or more English words, easily turning one sentence into a paragraph. That means what was translated for us as one simple sentence can unfold into many sentences of greater depth. Everything I'm explaining is heavily involved with mental work, logic, and understanding, but I would do you a major disservice if I did not mention that the life principles contained within the ancient scriptures are not bound by words as we would think. The words paint pictures of the eternal principles of life. They are beautifully poetic, and such principles are not bound, contained, or fully summarized by the languages of humanity. Even though the ancient languages and mindset offer much greater capacity to understand the depths of spiritual experience, they still cannot fully portray the quantum web of meaning and connection that timeless life principles contain because these principles are part of an intelligent experience that is alive for you and each of us. Therefore, you must learn to feel the meaning of the words. You must learn to feel the principles and the natural energy they carry in your body, soul, and heart, your very core. Then you will be able to experience the freedom these life principles offer because you will begin to see, feel, and sense intuitively with spiritual eyes coupled with logic and comprehension and yet not trapped by logic and comprehension of our Western ideology. What I am describing points to the true nature of words like believe, hope, and faith. Believing, hoping, and having faith are not issues of logic and being able to make sense of something in the physical. Spirituality, or spirit reality, is clearly not an issue grounded in logic. We must use our intelligent awareness to engage this process. Human beings have the power to perceive and understand the ancient words and life principles energetically. Another way of saying spiritually with intuitive feeling. The ancient words and the meaning they portray are connected to eternal ideas, life principles, truths which are the very support, foundation, and, and harmony of life. The ancient writings make it clear that you have access to the higher intelligence by which you can understand what these words mean by experience. They will help you see through the illusion your cultural language and conditioning have created. You'll see that our natural capacity for intuition and feeling are unique parts of intelligence that we are not being educated or trained to use. If you're listening to this, there's a bar graph in the transcripts on the blog at thv-tv.com. You'll find it under the title, Episode 6, Bible Redefined. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see the graph on your screen. This is a depiction of the interconnectedness of the Bible's internal references. 
This beautiful portrayal of biblical networks was produced by Chris Harrison and Christoph Romhild and can also be found on Harrison's website, which I have linked in the description below. The bar graph that runs along the bottom represents all of the chapters in the Bible. Books alternate in color between white and light gray. The length of each bar denotes the number of verses in the chapter. Each of the 63,779 cross-references found in the Bible is depicted by a single arc. The color responds to the distance between the two chapters, creating a rainbow-like effect. Yet, this graph only depicts cross-references to chapters. It does not show the connections of themes, verses, phrases, words, sounds, letters, and numbers between all paragraphs, chapters, and books. It also includes none of the apocryphal books. Everything I'm sharing with you is to help clarify the fact that we have largely misunderstood and consequently misused the Bible. It is an amazing book. Even what we may think of as contradictions in the Bible only occur because we misunderstand it ideologically and contextually and attempt to cross-reference it at inappropriate levels. Misunderstandings happen all the time. And because of the complex cultural construct or matrix of our own Western world, we think the assumed contradictions are proof of the book's inaccuracy. But the real problem is with translation, language, interpretation, perspective, and mindset. To be clear, I am in support of the book, though I may not support all of the typical religious ideas about the book. There are many who are more faithful to religious doctrine and the sense of pride they have found in it than the sense of peace they should have found from its teachings. The book portrays peace as part of the intrinsic and personal connection to a loving God. That connection is said to be the pinnacle and foundation of humanity's search for purpose and meaning. That connection cultivates sacred character, not necessarily perfect character, but definitely leading toward it. I am aware that my research might unintentionally challenge religious paradigms, but I have come to these conclusions by way of the original languages of the Bible itself. It is my conclusion that what I'm sharing brings greater relevance to the ancient books and does not reduce their value, though they may be contrary to some parts of Western theology. My attempt is to publish the writings of these ancient books with respect for the perspective of the authors and original readers and original listeners in a way that is as close to their Eastern way of thinking as possible, as far as I can understand and conceive. I attempt to explore the subtle nuances and poetic idioms of the ancient languages as they were originally understood because I have great respect for the authentic people and teachings of the book. Therefore, I could not care less what modern tradition and religion have to say about it because, again, if we are going to read the writings of the ancient way, then we need to be true to what those writings actually say and not a modern status quo. The translation I render is called the Healing Voice Version, or THV Version. 
As I hope you can tell, I am not doing this to support or uphold any religious tradition or theology. I respect what the ancient languages of the book actually have to say, and I offer this work for free because the messages were originally written for free. However, donations are welcome, especially if you would like a THV version of your own favorite verse of the Bible. You can read the THV versions at THVTV.com on the Bible Redefined page where, there are, where they are being updated and edited regularly. You will also be able to listen to them on the podcast and on the Healing Voice YouTube channel. I'll leave the link in the description and notes below. Now, I'd like to give you an example of a popular English translation and how I have re-rendered the text to the best of my ability as of May 2020. It's from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. From one of the common translations, the King James Version, it reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. At face value, this passage has been interpreted to say that humans are wicked or sinful and that God knows how wicked humans are and is ready to punish them for their sins. Now, I will read my translation, the THV version, with respect to each word and word root and the proper contextual ideology at as many levels of interpretation as possible. This is the THV version. The heart is the innermost core of self-existence and the seat of deep primordial consciousness and intelligence, the bridge between mind and body, wave and particle, heaven and earth existence. The heart gives rise to your greatest hopes, dreams, strengths, and emotions. The heart is certainly trampled, swollen, and wounded by the injurious events a person must endure in this life. In its easily diseased nature, frail and feeble, the heart is the place from which the person feels and acts desperately and harmfully. The true sense of self is covered and manipulated by pain and ensuing fear. It is utterly difficult to truly understand and become acquainted with the sickness of the heart and how it plagues the thoughts, perceptions, emotions, actions, and habits that flow from it. I am the great I am. Self of selves, heart of hearts. The I in I. And I intimately examine the innermost mind, desires, and affections of the person. I am well acquainted with the entangled roots of their deep-seated pains, struggles, and knots that choke their life. I investigate what has been planted within the person. I, the field of creative life, reflect back to you your own way of existing, thinking, emoting, feeling, and acting. The conditions of your life are the time-released results and harvest of your own repetitive emotions and actions. I'm sure you can see how comprehensive the THV version is compared to the commonly read KJV or King James Version. 
Modern translations of the Bible make it seem as if the human heart is something full of evil and that God is vengeful and punishing. But the ancient languages give a complete story of the heart condition, the how and why the heart becomes wounded, how much understanding the parent of the universe has toward the human condition and situation and the help that is continually being offered to humans in this experience called life, a spiritual journey of self-discovery. This passage from Jeremiah makes it clear that this being we call God, which is the same as saying parent of the universe, or the great I am, or creative consciousness, this passage only reflects our condition back to us. It's, it's telling us that the being called God only reflects our condition back to us because our inner life, our way of thinking, feeling, and acting is entangled with the creative field of life, which is also God. What we see in the physical realm, micro and macro, individually and communally, is a reflection of the condition of our individual and collective heart. And now in our history is a great time to know this. Take a look at what's happening around the world and realize that it is a reflection of us. The journey we have all been on to this point, if you wish to look at it historically, socially, or otherwise, is no one person's fault, nor any one institutional organization. We are all victims and we are all creators. It's a complicated web of history that we've all played a role in creating. Collectively, we have produced and shaped the problems we face today. And though they may seem insurmountable, we have the power to change them. And that is precisely why we are aware of the problems, to change them. We are not here to submit to the problems we see by avoiding them or acting out violently. Those are opposite extremes of the same problem, which is not realizing who we truly are. We are creative beings. Many of us have interpreted life's hardships as a curse, but what the message of the ancient writings consistently report when translated honorably, intuitively deciphered, and correctly comprehended is that hardship is a mirror of natural accountability that shows us where we need to improve and how we can become better, how we can come to better understand ourselves. When we experience adversity in life, we can ask ourselves why. We can ask with curiosity instead of resentment, knowing that somehow the answer begins and ends within ourselves. There's meaning purpose and answers to our painful and challenging experiences. Healing is always available for our drama and our trauma, and that is what makes the ancient teachings about the kingdom of God so amazing. That phrase, kingdom of God, can be translated as empowering reign of the great I am, meaning the power that pervades all in all throughout the universe is not only available to you, but is already part of you and you are part of it, one and the same. The only thing keeping you from participating in that empowerment is your own belief, your own way of thinking, your own way of seeing yourself. 
purpose of the, the kingdom of God is to support humans. And that is a matter of the heart, not a matter of ego. It's not a matter of logic. Humility and a true inner longing for the truth at all costs is the gateway into the kingdom or the empowering reign of the great I am. You are meant to discover the answers to why you are living your experiences and you are meant to be a creative part of your own transformation, which is a change that will also help the world. The necessary awareness that we can have regarding personal change and growth is the way out of repetitive cycles of hardship and addiction. Bible Redefined is a tool that can help us recreate the world by learning from ancient wisdom how our hearts and minds can be renewed when we learn what is true about who we are and put that knowledge into practice free of religious adherence and attitude. Then we will realize the wisdom is more than ancient in its origin because real truths, life principles are timeless, alive, and self-evident within the human heart. We only need a change of perspective. You may be shocked to learn that the word commandments that um, has been used to translate the idea behind the phrase life principles or principles of life, which to clarify with further accuracy would be like saying guidance or words of wisdom for your life path. The ancient languages reveal how rigid our translations have become and makes the negative impact that has on our religions and culture evident. Through the THV translations, you will find consistent messages through the pages of the Bible that also link to ancient scriptures from other parts of the world. Some of the THV translations will contain commentary and meditations to support a particular passage. You will come to understand that the language of the Bible consistently refers to the great I am or this being we have called God as the eternal self that gives life, energy, and support to every self, every one of us, and all of nature throughout the universe. The great I am is the consciousness that gives rise to all consciousness, including you. The great I am is heart of your heart, intelligence and wisdom of your intelligence and wisdom. The great I am is the inner focus and awareness that allows you to access the truth of your own being. That inner focus and awareness that you obviously have and are therefore one with is the great I am. It is the reason you can say I am. In that experience, you can find healing for every amount of adversity, disease, stress, fear, or trouble that you have or ever will encounter. You are part of the I am, not separate. The I am is the true I, or the true self that is within, supporting, and behind your sense of I, and peering through the eyes of your soul into and as your individual experience. The I am is the true self that is within, supporting and behind yourself. 
This means God is right there with you, sensing everything that you do because you are one. You are not and have never been alone. The feeling of loneliness, disconnection, separation, not being or having enough, and any negative emotions centered around these feelings or beliefs are all illusions fueled by the egoic mindset. It is simply not knowing who you truly are. Within the great I am, you live, breathe, and exist like a fish lives, breathes, and exists in the great ocean. It is clear that the breath of life, which can also be translated as spirit of life or energy of life, flows in and through you, not as a result of your separation from the divine, but as evidence of your total connection. You are intrinsically connected to and with the great I am. Maybe no one has told you these things, though some part of you has felt it. I am telling you now. For more ancient wisdom on the heart and how we create the conditions in our lives, I'd recommend reading two of my translations. The first is Guard Your Heart from Proverbs 4, 23 through 27 and Sow and Reap, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. You'll find the links in the description. For more ways of understanding the definition of the word God, I'd also suggest reading What is God? You'll find a link in the description. To end, I want to say religion is not just a Western issue of clergy, tradition, and dogma. Religion is found in any tradition, clergy, or dogma that is forced on others to tell them how to think. Any closed system in which you are not allowed to think for yourself is a religious system. These systems are difficult to recognize when we are already embedded into them or born into them. Um, And to give you more food for thought, I will leave a link in the description about China's recent announcement that it has appointed six experts to edit both the Bible and the Quran to fit communist ideology. It is not surprising how communist bureaucrats feel it is their duty to alter the words of the Bible to fit their agenda. These at-will translations give us a window into how not only the Bible, but also the Quran could be purposefully used to push ideas that are not from the original people or message of the book. Thanks for listening and please share this podcast. Let me know if you have questions, topic suggestions for a future episode, or if you'd like a favorite verse translated. You can contact me at thehealingvoicetv at protonmail.com. You can also request a free copy of my book, Music Everywhere, Elements and Principles of Life We've Been Missing. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at thv-tv. I'll leave the links in the description as well as a link to a very inspiring video by Greg Braden that further discusses lost books of the Bible. It's 11 minutes long and I highly recommend it. Thanks for listening to THB Podcasts.